Father, we thank you that you are our creator. We thank you, Lord. You have wonderful things for us. God, I pray now that you would give us insight into your word, that you would help us understand your message for us today as we open up the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, a very special welcome to Cornerstone Church. And if you're ever wondering why we're called Cornerstone Church, it's because Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Now, I have a civil engineering degree from the Harvard of the Midwest, really, (laughs) North Dakota State University. (laughs) Am I right, Biden, out there? Uh, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Never worked a day of civil engineering in my life, but I have a degree from there. And uh, as such, I, I am interested in things related to buildings. And in my biblical studies, I came across this concept of what a cornerstone was back in in Jesus' day, in the days that he was walking around on this earth 2,000-some years ago. Picture yourself wanting to build a building. You would prepare your land. You might dig out a place for the foundation to go. And then you would go and look for a cornerstone. And you wouldn't just be looking for any stone. You would go and look for the perfect stone. So you imagine yourself walking out into a field or into a quarry somewhere, and you're looking at stones, and what you would be looking for would be that perfect stone to set at the foundation of your house. Obviously a stone that would be big and strong to support your house. But also, this is what was interesting to me as I studied about what a cornerstone is. The shape of the cornerstone itself would determine the shape of the building. So you you picture a stone, and you find one that's nice and square and big, and you, you bring that stone, and you set it down in the corner. And, and the way that that cornerstone would work then is that every other stone that is set on or near that cornerstone would be in line with that cornerstone. So you're, you're picturing a stone right here, and the shape of that side of the stone is right here. The shape of your building would extend out in that direction. And, and the same thing in this direction as well. So you would be looking for the perfect stone to build your life on. Now, spiritually speaking, that's what we're looking to do looking to build our lives on the perfect cornerstone. And praise the Lord, God has revealed him to us. He is none other than Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Now it's interesting that in the Bible, there's a verse that says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You see, there are some people in this world who look at Jesus and say, no, that won't fit. I have an idea of how my life should look, and that's not it. And they reject him as their cornerstone. But I want to urge you to consider today that we must build our lives on Jesus Christ. As I've been thinking, really, for months about what I wanted to say at this grand opening Sunday, I wanted to communicate that message of Jesus Christ being our cornerstone and our need to build our lives on him. About four months ago, I was reading through my Bible. I was in uh, Denver, Colorado. Maybe I had a, an experience there. Maybe it's because of a higher elevation or something. I don't know. But I was reading through the book of Colossians, and Colossians chapter 3 just jumped out at me. It's actually perhaps my favorite chapter in the Bible. But what I decided to do back in January is to put together a four-week sermon series on this concept of building your life on Christ. So it's Colossians 3, chapters 1 through 17. We're going to spend the next four weeks looking at it. Today we're simply going to look at verses 1 through 4. And I just want to say up front that I I know that some of you came here today just to celebrate with us. Some of you maybe have come from other churches and said, I just wanted to see the place and celebrate with us. Well, we're glad to have you. Thanks for helping us celebrate. Others of you maybe came, and maybe you don't even know why you came. 
Maybe somebody dragged you here. Um, hope you're not here against your will. If you're here against your will, by the way, you're free to leave, okay? <laughs> but for some of you, maybe you just came here and you thought, yeah, I'll check that place out and I'll be on my way. But I want to say something right now. I, I want to urge you to consider to give us at least four weeks. It's a four-week sermon series entitled Building Your Life on Christ. And I think we would all do ourselves well to figure out what our lives should look like. And how do we figure that out? By looking at our cornerstone. He shapes our lives. That's what it's supposed to be. Now, since we're jumping into chapter 3 of Colossians, I figured I should give you a little bit of the context of it. It's written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote about 13 books of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul was writing this book to believers in the city of Colossae, that is, people who had already put their faith in Jesus Christ. Earlier in the book, he had said things like, you died with Christ, and God made you alive with Christ. One theologian said that the theme verse of Colossians is chapter 2, verse 6. It says, and some of you will recognize this, it's our benediction verse. It has been for about the last two years. Uh, since then you have been excuse me I'm, that's a different verse so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord continue to live in him Paul wrote to people who had given their lives to Jesus as such my sermon today will emphasize the idea of knowing Jesus and building our lives on him eventually in Colossians 3 Paul will get to this place where he'll say here's some things you shouldn't do here's some things you should do and, and we'll get into those in the next three weeks but we have to get first things first today. And the first and most important thing is that we know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. I want to read for you now Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. And this is in your bulletins, by the way, if you don't have your Bible with you. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, in the translation I read, it starts off with the word since, but actually, perhaps, a better translation is the word if. Now, in Greek, the words since and if are the same word. So anytime you see that word in Greek, you have to figure out which one does it mean. And most translators nowadays are, are going with the opinion that this word means if. If, then, you have been raised with Christ. Well, how do we know if we've been raised with Christ? Well, this has everything to do with the gospel message the central message of the Bible. And here is the gospel message in a nutshell. We are all sinners. Every one of you. And you know how I know that? Because I've been stalking you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've used that joke here before. but I've I really have not been stalking any of you. Um, I've watched you sentinel. <laughs> uh, I, you know how I know that you're all sinners? Because I know that I'm a sinner. I know what a human being is, and I know that we are sinful people. Sometimes we do things that offend God. And it's a big problem, actually. The Bible actually says that the wages of sin, the penalty that we earn from our sin, is death. Now, the good news is that God knows all that about us, yet He still loves us. He loves us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he took our sins upon himself, our penalty, and paid the penalty that we could never pay on our own. So that every single one of us who receives Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord can have complete forgiveness of our sins and we can have eternal life with God. That is the gospel message. It is a very good message. 
and it is a message that demands a response from us. And really, there's only two responses. There's a response of saying, yes, Lord, I need you, I give my life to you, or there's the response of rejecting the cornerstone. Either we build our lives on Christ, or we've come up with some other plan. But the problem is only one of those ways leads to life. But if you have received Jesus, and that's what Paul is saying here, if you have received Jesus, then spiritually speaking, you died with him. And, spiritually speaking, you rose from him. That You rose with him. Just as Jesus was dead and buried, that we, we have died with him. And just as he rose again, we have rose again with him to new life. And if that's true of you, then what verses 1 and 2 tell you to do is to set your hearts and minds on things above, where Christ is. And let me be very clear about something here. We don't earn our salvation by setting our hearts and minds on Christ. It, that's not how we get to him. We, we earn salvation because of what Christ has done for us and if we respond in faith to him. From there, then, Paul tells us what to do is to set our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ. So the wonderful news of the gospel is that this life is given to us, and now Paul tells us one thing that we can do in this new life is to set our hearts and minds on him. Now, it's so easy for us to set our hearts and our minds on earthly things. And I was thinking about that in my life, a time in my life when my heart and my mind was set on earthly things. It was about when I was in 8th or ninth grade. I was a huge baseball fan, huge New York Yankees fan. And, and don't worry, I have since repented of that. <laughs> I have been converted. I've seen the light. I am a Minnesota Twins fan. But for some reason, blame my mom. Um, she let me be a New York Yankees fan. And, and I was a huge, huge New York Yankees fan. In fact, it probably would be true of me that you could have said that sports was my life back then, that that's really what I was living for. And I remember waking up some days as an 8th or a ninth grader, waking up sad and depressed, and be like, why am I sad? What's going on here? And I, I could trace it back to, oh, the Yankees lost last night. <laughs> so that my life, in many ways, was the, the New York Yankees. Now, obviously, that's not what it should be. And, and believe me when I say, I think it's okay to watch sports and to have hobbies. Those of you that know me know I, I'm still a pretty big sports fan. But what we need is a new orientation in life. What we need is a new North Star. Something else that will define who we are. And that is to be Jesus Christ. We are to set our hearts and our minds on Him. Living for Him and what He wants. And not for what we want. We are to commit ourselves to God's ways. That's why Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not what I want, God, but what you want. So our lives are to be lived with our eyes on Christ. Now I have a little uh, illustration that you can follow along with, with me if you'd like. If you have a, a bulletin and a pen, you can try this out here, or you can try it out at home. I learned this one back in grade school, but it's, it has to do with drawing a straight line. So you want to draw a straight line. There are two ways that you can try to do that. One way is that you could put your pen on the paper, and you could watch your pen and draw all the way across, and, and try to draw a straight line that way. So go ahead and try that in your bulletin. Just watch your pen. You kind of know eventually where you want to go, but you're just watching your pen, and you're, drawing, you're trying to draw a straight line. Now underneath that one, I want you to try a second way. I want you to put a dot at the end of where you want to draw your line, 
and then you move your pen over to the other side of the paper, but instead of watching your pen this time, you're watching the dot. So you're, you see what I'm saying here? Your pen is over here, but your eyes are over here, and you draw the line over to that dot. Now I've done this many times, and most of the times it works for me that the straighter line is the second line. The line where we have kept our eyes on the end, on the goal. And spiritually speaking, I think that's what verses 1 and 2 are saying. That if we want to live the right kind of life, what we need to do is to keep our eyes on the goal, to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And we will then live the right kind of life if our hearts and our minds are set on him. So we're to set our hearts and minds on things above where Christ is. Let's move on now to verse 3. Verse 3 says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Here, the Apostle Paul intensifies the language a bit. It's not just that we are to focus on God and what he wants for us. It's that we are actually to die to our own desires. Now, perhaps this language sounds odd to you, but I would say that this is at the very heart, the very center of what God wants for us. God wants us to die to ourselves so that he can give us new life. Because when you die, you lose your will. And that's a very simple statement there, and I want to illustrate it for you by saying something. Does anybody in here have a bucket list? You don't have to raise your hand, but some of you have things, you know what a bucket list is? Things that you want to do before you die. Maybe you have things on there like climbing Mount Everest. That's certainly not on my list. Um, or maybe you have one on there like visiting all 50 states that at some point in your life you would like to set your feet in each of the 50 states. Now, I'm pretty close to that one. I probably have about five states left, like for some reason Utah, Nevada, I think Arkansas is on that list. Well, let's say for me that I get to 49 of those states, and it's my goal to get to all 50. And let's say the last one that I, that I haven't been to yet is Arkansas. So I'm at 49 states, never been to Arkansas, and let's say that I die then. Well, I tell you what, I've lost my chance to do that. I no longer have a will. Yeah, maybe my family could take my body to Arkansas, but they'd be doing that against my will. I don't have a will anymore. If I died, I lost my chance to do that. Spiritually speaking, this is what God wants for us. You see, we were not created to direct our own paths. Our best life comes when we realize that God wants to direct us. Now the language here is severe. We're talking about dying to ourselves, and yes, it is a loss. We, we who have come to know Christ, we sense that loss. You see, every one of us in this room was born with a sinful nature. That's what the Bible tells us. That sinful nature wants us to seek our own desires. But God has something better for us. Therefore, he calls us to himself. He calls us to die to ourselves and to come to him so that we can have new life in him. Listen to how the Apostle Paul said it in two other verses, in two different books of the Bible. In Galatians 2.20, and this one is also in your bulletins, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul knew that God wanted him to give up his life. But Paul knew that that was a good thing because he was giving up his life to the God who loved him. 
Now let me just stop and ask a question here. Who is better at guiding your life? You or God? Who's better at that? See, the answer is a, is a simple answer to that question. Of course, God is better at directing my life than I am. That's why we need to give our lives to him, to die to ourselves, so that we might receive new life. Then here's the other verse I wanted to mention. This is also in your bulletin. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So yes, we really do lose our life when we come to Christ, but we gain something that is better by far. The theologian David Garland says, there is to be a drastic split with the old life. We give up our lives so that God can give us new life. And that's why Paul goes on to say in Colossians 3.3 that not only have we died, but he mentions a life that we then have. He says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now that phrase, your life is now hidden with Christ in God, is so full of meaning. And, And I will be the first to tell you that I do not understand everything that that means. In fact, I think that we could spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out that wonderful phrase and and still never really get there. Now, I have figured out it means at least two things about our lives. Well, actually, the the simple thing that it means about our life is that my life is with Christ. It's somehow hidden up in Him. Our lives are to be hidden with Christ and to be built on Christ. I think the Apostle Paul, what he does then in verse 3, he, he mentions that our lives are hidden with Christ, and then in verse 4 he goes on to explain two meanings of what that means. So I want to go on to verse 4, where Paul describes both a present reality and a future reality about our lives being hidden with Christ. Verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now that verse I have often called my second favorite verse in the Bible. I just love that verse. I love how it tells me about who I am now and about the reality of what's to come. What it means, according to verse 4, is that Christ is to be our life now. That's when Christ, who is your life. And then it means also that when he comes again that we will appear with him in glory. So what does it mean that Christ is to be our life? Well, it means I don't live for me. I live for God. Now, I can picture somebody objecting to this message now saying, but I don't want to live for Christ. I'd rather live for me. And believe me, I understand that. I'm, I'm a human being, even though I'm a pastor, I'm a human being just like the rest of you. And I, I fully understand this battle within us where we say, I want what I want. I, I wanted as an 8th grader to have sports be my life. I, did, I didn't want God intruding on that. And you see, every single one of us has desires and passions within us and we have plans for our lives and we don't want to give those things up to God. The sinful nature tries to urge us to grab onto those things, to hold on to them. But let me tell you this. The life lived for Christ is better by far. Better by far. We were not created for ourselves. In fact, earlier in the book of Colossians, it says that we were created by Him and for Him. 
We were not created simply for our own pleasure, our own desires. Some people find pleasure for a while by seeking their own desires. But ultimately, true joy and peace and purpose comes only from following Jesus Christ. So it comes down to a decision for us. And I think that Colossians 3, 1 through 4 urges us to ask ourselves a question. And if you've been sleeping, you need to wake up for this part because this is the important part here. Our minds wander sometimes. Pay Pay attention to this. There is a question that we must ask ourselves and here is the question. Who is in charge of your life? Who is in charge of your life? Are you living for yourself or for God? Are you building your own life according to your own plans? Or have you given your life to Jesus Christ and let Him direct your life? As Paul reminds us, these are life and death matters. Jesus Himself reminded us of these life and death matters. This verse is in your bulletin as well. In Mark 8.35, Jesus said, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Do you realize what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, you know what? If you want to hold on to your own life, go ahead. You can do that. He gives us that option. He just warns us, you'll actually lose your life in doing that. Or he says, you can give up your life to him. And in doing so, you will actually find life. We are to give our lives to Jesus. The way that I often say it in my preaching at Cornerstone Church is that we are to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Those are two titles used of Jesus oftentimes in the New Testament, Savior and Lord. To receive Jesus as Savior means that we recognize that we are sinners, that we need him, that that there's nothing that we can do about our sin problem and about the penalty that we have earned. And to receive Jesus as Savior then means that we ask Jesus to forgive our sins. And when he forgives our sins, he does it completely and he gives us eternal life. That's what it means to receive Jesus as Savior. To receive Jesus as Lord means that we give our lives to him. That he becomes our new king. The way I like to think of this is picture there being a throne in your heart. That every single human being was born into this world with a throne, metaphorically speaking, in our hearts. And we all assumed that that throne was created for us. And one of the first things that we all did at a very young age was climbed up onto that throne and started directing our own lives and living according to what we wanted to do. But that throne was not created for us. It was created for Jesus Christ. And what we need to do then is to get off of that throne and to invite Jesus to take his rightful place as our Lord and as our King. And the rest of our lives then are lived in submission and in service to our King. And that is, again, the best kind of life that we can live. We can't have true life apart from Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus calls himself the life. And he added after that saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to get eternal life is by giving your life to Jesus. That's what Paul was getting at in Colossians 3, 4 when he says, when Christ, who is your life, that is, if you've given your life to him, when Christ appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Meaning that he will take you to be with him. You will be glorified. Heaven. Perfection. 
I mentioned how the phrase hidden with Christ in God has both an implication for the present and the future. Well, the future reality is that those of us who have received Jesus Christ, our lives are hidden with him. Hidden is the word in verse 3, and the opposite of that word is in verse 4, appears or revealed in some translations. So there's a spiritual reality. When we give our lives to Jesus, something about us, our lives, becomes hidden in him. And when he comes again, it'll be revealed that we are with him. And we get to be with him in glory forever. So there's a promise of eternal life here. And and what a promise that is. My body may deteriorate. I know that's hard for some of you to believe right now, but it's possible. Uh, (laughs) Why why is it laughing? Perhaps I might even get cancer and die sometime. But you know what the truth is? The truth is that my life is hidden with Christ in God. And even if my body dies, there is something far better awaiting for me that will be revealed someday. Ultimately, we get to be transformed. That's God's work in our lives and in our hearts. We get to be transformed become more like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we will become gods, but what I am saying is that God is bringing us through a process where he does his wonderful work in our hearts and our lives to make us more and more the people that he wants us to be, the people he created us to be. What is hidden now will later be revealed. So yes, we do need to die to ourselves. To me, that's a good thing, a very good thing, because it means that we get new life. The fact is that Jesus Christ is coming again. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came. He came to teach us about God. He came to die for our sins and to rise again, victorious over death. The fact is, and we all need to know this, history is heading somewhere, Jesus Christ is coming again. And we will all be accountable for whether we have received or rejected him. As I said earlier, this passage brings up a question for us. Who is in charge of your life? Or we might ask it this way, who is your life? Or what is your life? And really, there are only two possible answers to that question. Who is your life? It's either you or God. Either you die to yourself and give your life to God, or you hold on to your life and try to live according to your own ways. A pastor friend reminded me this week that in reality, we don't even even actually have that autonomy over our lives that we think we do. Because what the Bible reminds us is that either we live as servants of God or we live as slaves to sin. So there's only two options for our lives here. Either you try to hold on to your own life, pretending that you were created with the capacity to bring yourself into the best life, or you give your life to Jesus Christ and you build your life on him. So what defines you? What is your life? Who is your life? Now there are lots of things that are true about me. If if we were defining my life, I am a father. I am a husband. I am a son. I am a sports fan. I love drinking Mountain Dew. These things are all true of me. Very true of me in many ways. Uh, But none of them define who I am because who I am now is defined by my cornerstone, Jesus Christ. I gave my life to him 
and I now seek to build my life on him. So what is it for you? Many of you in here have already given your lives to Christ. For others, maybe God is convincing you right now that you need to give your heart to Jesus Christ. I remember how this happened for me. I remember hearing the gospel message about 20 years ago now, and I remember there were two thoughts going on in my mind. One thought was, wow, God, you seem to be speaking directly to my heart here. And the other thought I was thinking was in my mind, this, well, I, I need to look into it. I need to see if what, what this preacher is saying is actually true and accurate. But let me tell you, God was speaking to my heart. And God may be speaking to some of your hearts right now. And the response that some of you may need to make, even right now, is to give your life to Jesus Christ. In a few moments here, I'll be done with my sermon and I'll lead you in a prayer that you can pray to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to be your Savior and Lord. And I encourage you to consider whether you need to do that. We don't know when the end will be for us. You could, you could get hit by a bus today. Jesus could come back sooner than you think. We need to be ready. But let me just conclude my sermon by saying this. Our goal is to live for Christ now and to live with him forever. If Christ is your life, then you should let him guide you into the things that he wants you to live for. And as I said before, over the course of the next three Sundays, we'll be talking more about what that means to build our lives on Christ. And again, I want to urge you to come back, or at least to consider to come back, to talk to God about whether you need to come back and to hear about what it means to build your life on Christ. The first step in that is to receive him as Savior and Lord. From there, we seek every day to build our lives on him. At Cornerstone, we talk often about the daily walk with Jesus Christ where we build our lives on him daily by doing things like praying, things like reading your Bible, And one thing that's often overlooked, especially in our day and age, that I would highly suggest to you is that you become an active member of a church where the Bible is preached, where you are encouraged by other people who are walking with Christ, and they they challenge you to walk with Christ, and then you can challenge them, and we, we all spur each other on to walking with Christ. So again, please consider coming back for at least the next few weeks as we dive into this wonderful passage where we learn about building our lives on Christ because our goal is to live for Christ now and to live with him forever. I want to close in prayer now and what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a a two-part prayer. The first part of the prayer is for any of you who feel God tapping on your heart right now and you're not sure that you've ever given your life to him. When I heard this gospel message about 20 years ago, I, I remember thinking, well, I'm just not sure if I've ever done that. And what I, but what I wanted that day was to make sure. And maybe some of you are in that place right now and you're just not sure if you've ever done it and you want to do it again. I don't think God would be offended if you asked him to, to seal the deal here. And maybe some of you for the first time are thinking, I've been controlling my own life. I need to give my life to Christ. And if that's so... I urge you to pray with me this first part of the prayer. It's a prayer that you can repeat after me quietly in your own heart and just talk to God. Invite Him. Ask Him to forgive your sins and to be your Lord and your King. And then after that, I'll close in a prayer for all of us. So if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, please pray with me in your heart. 
God, thank you for your great love for me. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I know that I am a sinner. Please forgive me for all of my sins. I pray now to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, the one who takes away my sins, and as my Lord, the one who now has rightful control over the rest of my life. I give my life to you, Lord. Lord, help me now to build my life on Christ and to be the person you want me to be. And I'm praying for, for all of us here. Father, thank you for this message of new life. Yes, it's a message of death and it's a message that we may be uncomfortable with, that we may mourn the loss of what we held so dearly to us before, but God, we are so grateful that you have given us new life in Christ and we do, Lord, come before you right now and we desire to build our lives on Christ. Would you please strengthen us to do that? Would you do your wonderful work in our hearts and in our lives? Would you transform us and make us more like Jesus Christ? I pray that Jesus Christ would be our life and that we would appear with him in glory when he comes again. God, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. We pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us and strengthen us for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.